Good morning, LMCC. It is so good to be back here. Uh, it's been a minute since I've had the chance to preach, and I am excited to bring God's Word to you today. It feels like so much has happened, all right? I mean, praise God, we had a historic inauguration without incident. My family and I got to overcome COVID. Praise the Lord for that. I uh, got to see the MMA fight between hedge fund investors and subreddit bloggers. Some of these, I was going to say Conor McGregor, but no, that wasn't as exciting as hedge fund versus subreddit fighting over you know, the blockbuster of video games, uh, GameStop. So it's been so much going on. It's like 2021 was taking some cues from 2020, and like, oh, this is how this decade goes. All right, let's, I'm in. Um, hopefully, it doesn't take too many cues from 2020. But uh, I'm anxious to bring God's word to you. And my desire is that it's God's words spoken directly to you, to your situation. And so to make that happen, I just want to submit it to God and pray. So please pray with me. Father, you are good and true. What we just spoke about and sang about is real. And so I pray right now that you would make your word for today just as real just as relevant, just as powerful as the songs that we sing. And so Holy Spirit, let every word, let every part of this message be yours for your people. It is in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the last few weeks I've just been meditating on this simple idea that has profound implications. It's that we are not where we once were, but we're not quite where we want to be. I think about that in regards to this COVID crisis, where we're starting to see this light at the end of the tunnel with vaccines actually being distributed, and this idea that there's going to be some sense of a future ahead of us that we can enjoy and return to. It's not where we once were, praise God, but we're still stuck in this middle. You can see it politically, but you can also see it very personally. There's a number of areas of your life right now where you can say, I'm not where I once was, but I'm just not quite where I want to be. And the scriptures speak to this as this idea of wilderness seasons, these middle moments where we find ourselves wanting for something greater, yet thankful that we're out of what we once were in. And so what I want to speak about today is why do we find ourselves in those wilderness moments? Why does God seem to lead us into those moments? And what is he trying to do in the middle moment? Because if we miss it, we can't really get to where we want to be. We will find ourselves wandering in circles, not yet fully experiencing God's promises, because we haven't done the work of the wilderness. See, the wilderness, and if you are around churches for a while, there's the most famous kind of wilderness motif in the scriptures is that of Israel in the book of Exodus. And we tend to view that with a negative connotation because we only think about how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had been set free from slavery in Egypt. They were told they were going to be in the promised land, and yet there they find themselves in the middle. Complaining, questioning, wondering why God hasn't just fulfilled all his promises all at once. What's the point of doing this right now in this wilderness moment? We tend to view it as negative, 
But when you look at the scriptures, you see that God led them into the wilderness. It was an intended place that he wanted for them. And if God wants something for you, it cannot be negative. If God is after something in you, it has to be a positive place. See, when they exit through the Red Sea, they come out on the other side, and God makes this decision. I'm going to lead them into the wilderness instead of by way of the Philistines. Because he sees how weary they are from fighting to be delivered out of their slavery, fighting to be delivered from their, from their cries that they are begging God to do. And he knows if he leads them towards the Philistines, they might shrink back. God does not want to lead you into failure. He wants to lead you into abundance, into his abundant life, and so he is going to guide you down the path that will lead you to the promises. And sometimes we question it, and we go, I don't get it, I don't know why I'm here, I'm glad you did that soul deliverance and freedom thing, but where's the future that was promised? Where's the future that I'm longing for? We find ourselves questioning, and yet God leads us to this wilderness. He did it with the people of Israel. He did it, if you back up in the story, with Moses and Aaron before they go and talk to Pharaoh to set God's people free. In the life of Jesus, if you fast forward in the story, we see that he leads, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness before he ever begins his ministry. See, there is a work that God intends to do in the wilderness. And he wants us to win in the wilderness, not just wander in the wilderness. So I want to look at this passage. I want to look at a passage in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 here in a second. And I want us to take a step back and examine, am I living in such a way in this middle moment in my life that I will actually see the promised land or will I continue to wander in circles, stuck in this moment, stuck in the middle? Not where I was, but not where I want to be. The question that you need to answer is, what is your wilderness? I mentioned that collectively as a society we tend to have this wilderness with COVID or politics. But I think we have one as a church collectively. That we tasted the power of God. That we experienced before this all happened a deep unity and a deep commitment to one another. And in this wilderness where we're not what God always wanted us to be, He gave us these promises about what our future is going to be. And it will be for us as a church. And yet, we're not quite there. And that frustrates me at times. I find myself doing the Israel journey and complaining and going, God, what are you doing? Why are you not providing like this? Where is it at? When is it happening? But as I meditated in this, I think there are wilderness that you are experiencing. Some of you may be experiencing a career wilderness, a professional wilderness, where the difficulties and the challenges of the past are gone. And yet, you're not quite in the full dreams that God has given to you of what your future career should be. And you are sitting there in this middle moment, wondering, why is it so hard to get from where I was to where I'm going? For others of us, there are family promises that God has given. There are marriage promises, and you find yourself single, and you're wondering, how in the world am I ever going to get there? There are inside of your marriage issues that you're going, God has promised us that we're going to have a great marriage, a new marriage, a renewed marriage, and yet we're still stuck in these cycles and difficulties in this wilderness where we're not where we want to be. 
parenting and kids. You feel like he's promised you those things and they're not there yet. Beyond that, each of us, I believe, have spiritual breakthroughs that we are desperate for. There is growth or experiences of God that we're like, we know that God says that they're ours and yet I haven't seen it. I'm so stuck in that addiction. I'm so stuck in fear. I'm so stuck with that doubt, questioning and wondering and asking for your wisdom and I don't have it yet. Where is it, God? There's the wilderness moment. Why? So if you look at Israel, what they believed is, I just need to get out of Egypt. Egypt is the problem in my life. And what God says is he uses the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. See, the trauma that they experienced in, in Egypt had formed patterns of thinking and patterns of living that would not serve them in the promised land. They would hurt them in the promised land and they would fail the promised land because of it. There are evils of Egypt that they experienced that worked their way inside of their own hearts and minds, and God did not want them to bring the evil into the promised land He wanted for them. And the same is true for you. There were patterns of thinking in your career past that God's saying, that's not going to serve your career future. There are ways of operating as a family that God is saying, I'm trying to weed that out. I'm trying to help you see here in this middle moment that you can't take that into the future promises. It will take the promised land if you let those things of the past be the patterns for your future. And so when we look at this wilderness moment in Israel, it's this moment where they begin to scout out what the future is going to look like. And when they come back, there are only two that win in the wilderness. Two out of twelve. And ten lead the rest of them to wander in the wilderness instead of win in the wilderness and experience promised land. So I want to encourage you to look at Caleb and Joshua and say, what does it look like for me to live in such a way that I win in this wilderness, that I win in my middle moment, that I see God's victory now so I know that I'll experience God's victory in the promised land. So I want to read this passage in Numbers 13 and 14, just selections from it. I want you to consider your wilderness and what God will be saying to you in this passage. Let's read it together. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or is it poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes, and they wanted that good one. I didn't actually say that, I'm sorry. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel of Kadesh and the wilderness of Haram. They reported to the whole community that they had seen. They showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. It is indeed bountiful country. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. 
We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. The whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader. And let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. They were willing to choose to go back to the slavery they cried for freedom from for 400 years instead of trusting God to achieve victory in the future promised land. See, this wilderness moment is revealing that they have yet to truly trust in God for the victory in the future. And what I want to look at is how we avoid the mistakes so that we don't just wander in this little moment stuck in years of despair, stuck in years of fear, years of doubt, and wandering away from what God actually intends for us to become because we're afraid. Instead, I want us to look at Caleb and have him look at the future and say, I see those giants and I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. How do we have that excitement and that confidence? And what I believe is that he and others like him saw three truths, three truths for victory that they claimed and declared and walked in. And eventually, those three truths will permeate all of Israel as they go into the promised land. And there are three truths that can be yours right now, that in the middle moment, whatever it may be for you, you can proclaim them and experience them. And you can be transformed in such a way that the promised land can become yours now. And yours in the future. The first truth is... That God is always present with me, so I will live in God's presence. Proclaim that. God is always present with me, so I will always live in God's presence. See, in these wilderness moments, we begin to question if God truly is with us, and if He's with us, is He truly for us? We begin to doubt his goodness because, yes, we've seen him deliver. Yes, we've seen him do miracles. Oh, he's done so good to us. But maybe he's done now. Maybe the next shoe's going to drop. And that's Israel. They literally watched God defeat the greatest nation of the earth by crossing the Red Sea in an absolute miracle. They get on the other side and they immediately start whining and complaining. Oh, we're thirsty and this water is bitter. What are we going to do? God's like, here's a rock and another miracle where you have fresh water. Oh, what about the food, the food in Egypt, even though we were slaves, it was so good. God's like, here's miraculous food that falls from heaven. And 
enjoy it as much as you wish. You don't even have to work for it like you did in Egypt. All the time they see this, and yet they begin to doubt God's presence. And they had no reason to because God was right in front of them. In Numbers chapter 9, it describes how God, during the day, was a pillar of a cloud by day that they could physically see. And then it would get up and move, and they could actually physically follow it. And then at night, it became a fire. It became a light for them to follow. Like you were looking at the Empire State Building, a bright light that you could see anywhere where you were living. They could see His presence that they did not live in His presence. And we need to understand there's a massive difference between God being always present with you and you living in God's presence always. See, right now, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, the promise is that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and that He puts His Holy Spirit inside of us to be with us always. Then the Spirit can tell us which direction to go. The Spirit can teach us what the Scriptures are saying and guide us into truth. And yet, even though God is always present with us, we don't always live in God's presence. See, it used to be the commute where we used to let God stay at home and then not come into workplace. Or it used to be physical presence of the church where we would go to get God's presence and then we would leave God's presence there and just go live our own lives by our own provision and our own abilities. God is saying, I am done with these compartmentalized existence where sometimes you praise me and sometimes you praise yourself. Where sometimes you boast in me and sometimes you boast in your own abilities. God said, I am done with this separation. I am trying to permeate every part of your life, every corner of your existence, every area where I send you. God's presence was meant to fill all the earth and all of your life. But he is a gentleman. He will not force his way in to those dark corners that you want to protect as if it's helping you. He will look to you and say, I want to go into that part of your life. And you are the one that needs to say, I will live in God's presence always. What would it look like for you to live in God's presence every single day? For you to turn to his scriptures regularly. See, he allows us to see what's possible. Just like he did these scouts. He showed them what the good was. It was abundance. It was fruit that they had to carry together to get back. A land flowing with milk and honey, which was just the phrase they used to say absolute abundance. It is yours if you want to be in his presence. And yet, they, like us, saw the challenges. They said, oh, but to get the abundance, it's kind of hard. I, I thought this was going to be way easier. See, they were asking those questions. Is it going to be hard or is it going to be easy? Is the land going to be good or is it going to be bad in the future? Are the things we're going to face, are they a few problems or are they many problems? Those cities, are they like strongholds? Is this like deep work that I have to do? Or is it like open camps where it's just going to be shallow and easy for me to navigate? See, God has taken us through those difficult moments in your career and in your family and in spiritual breakthroughs and all of that so that you can have confidence and abundance and victory for the future. But you only get that by living in His presence. 
See, the people of Israel were comparing what they were going to face in the problems with their ability to solve them. They had begun to, they had forgotten what, who was the one who delivered them out of Egypt. They were, all they did was cry in prayer for 400 years, and then it was God who came and performed miracles in their midst. It was God who defeated their biggest adversary in Egypt, Pharaoh. It was God who did all those things. And yet as they looked to the promised land, they thought, it's going to be me that has to do all those things. That victory at work that you experience, do you think God's done with victories at work? Those beautiful moments you've had as a family, do you think he's done letting you experience them? That experience of healing that you once had, do you think he's done with healing in the future? See, the only reason that we would rely on ourselves and our abilities instead of God's ability to achieve is we believe that he's done with us. Because instead, if we walk into his presence and live in his presence, we're in his word, we're in prayer, we're asking him what he's doing each and every moment. In his presence, you get provision. In his presence, you get power. God is always present with you. Will you live and stay in his presence? every area that you enter. That's the truth for victory that if we live in. Not just declare. You can say it all day long. You can believe it in your mind and heart all day long but until you live it, it is nothing. He's saying, I'm with you. Why don't you be with me and see what we can do? That's the first truth. The second truth is that you follow what God says not just what you see. You follow what God says, not just what you see. See, because God has said from the very beginning, Exodus 3 and 4, Exodus chapter 6, He said it when he, when he led them out of Egypt. He said over and over again, I am giving you the land. Not you are taking the land. I am giving you the land. I am giving you the promised land and all the abundance. I will do it. And I'm sitting you there, and there's a lot of other people that are living there that you're going to have to overcome. There's a lot of other struggles that you're going to have to defeat. But I'm giving it to you. Yet what do they see? Those are giants that are going to devour us. The land is going to hurt our family. It's not going to be good for us if we follow what God says because the leading indicators are that it's not going to go well. See, that's what we look for. You say, oh, God says this, I'll try it, I'll test it. And we do like a little bit, and it's like hard, and it's like, oh, I thought it was going to be easy now. See, I thought that was the difficulties of the past, and I thought this was just going to be easy. And then when it gets difficult, we're straight back, and we're like, oh, I'll just go back to Egypt. At least I know what the slavery was like. At least I know what the difficulties were like and how to navigate that emotionally. This is new territory. This is new struggle. I'm not sure I can. Or we say to ourselves, you know, I do want that healing. I do want that healing in my mind from the trauma of the past. I do want that healing of my heart so my emotions are more healthy in the future. Oh, I do want that spiritual breakthrough of growth. And then you go in and you realize it's, that's a fortified city that you've got to tackle with God. Not just an open camp that you just to stroll through. You go, oh, the deep work? Like I have to commit to it for a while? Oh, I don't know about that. See, when you go to obey the scriptures, it is not a slot machine transactional interaction where you just put it and pull, and then if therefore, you have it. Now there's perseverance that God wants to build into you so that you persevere in faithfulness with Him, 
so that it is not just you relying on yourself just to be obedient for a little bit, and then he does it. And what I want you to hear in the wilderness season is it's not about what God is going to do for you. Because right now we're all asking God to do some amazing things for us. But what God is after is what is he doing in you? And when God wants to do something in you, it requires that you let him do something in you. See, he's always doing something for you. That's a guarantee when you are a child of God. But doing something in you, even you and I can be stubborn children at times where we're like, no thanks, not there, not ready for that. Even though God continues to reveal. See, and that's what this whole idea of following God says, not what you see. Because what you see and what God says, we don't always make the connection. Because what God is revealing in your life, He wants to heal in your life. So He shows them that they're complaining. They're complaining, and what that complaint reveals is that they have not trusted the God who has shown Himself trustworthy. At some point, you and I need to see that our complaints about what's going on in our lives are compromises of our character, not the content of what God can do. See, because if our complaints rise up, we feel justified, as if God should have already done this. And God is saying, why didn't you ask and come to me instead of complaining about what you don't have? How many of us can look back at 2020 and look at it as crazy and wild, and yet God showed himself trustworthy at every turn? Even those of us who had career difficulties and fear about the future, and yet God came through. How many of us can look back at the bigger marital problems that we have, the bigger problems in singleness, the bigger struggles in those moments that we've seen God come through, and then we look ahead and we're like, I just don't know if we're going to come through now. God has shown himself trustworthy. Will you trust him? And what that means is you trust what he says. And then when he reveals something to you, you see it as a place for future victory and transformation, not just a trial for defeat. That's what he sent them out to scout. He said, you've seen what I've done in Egypt. Now I want to show you what I'm about to do in the promised land. I'm going to show you where your battles are so I can show you where victory is coming. You have to follow what God says. Not just allow what you see. And what that would look like is that when you begin to see a challenge, you go, God, what's your battle plan? See, when Joshua saw Jericho, that was the first battle they were going to fight in the promised land, he said, what's the battle plan? And then God gave it, and he was like, no, really, like, what's the battle plan? Like, because it's not just walking around and singing, like, what's the real battle plan? And God's like, no, I, I, that's the real battle plan, I'm going to win. <laughs> See, when you see it, you come and go, okay, you've done it once, what are you doing now? Or he reveals those insecurities, those anxieties. Then you go, okay, God, why are you revealing this? What are you trying to do with me? And the question is, will you do the deep work of healing? And that's the last part. The last truth for victory is that God has promised victory, so I will overcome it. I think this is the one we need to proclaim the most every time we face a challenge. Let it be the echo. Let it be the echo. God has promised victory, so I will overcome it. Look at Caleb. He looks and he says, yep, giants, yep, we're going to defeat them, and then eventually David's going to be the bigger giant. 
Yep. And then Jesus is going to be a bigger giant, our sin. This is who God is. He just defeats bigger enemies. And so he wants you to see that he's going to heal you in those areas. I've had to confront that myself in these last few months. See, because there are patterns in the past of guilt and shame and insecurity that I just want to keep carrying with me. Oh, this is who I am. Oh, this is just going to be the thorn in my side. Oh, this is just going to be the struggle that I face and the challenge. And God's like, why are you compromising in what I can do? So I'm and that's why over the last few months I've dug into soul care. One of the classes that we offer, one of these community groups that is starting this week. And so my challenge to you is, and I, I've just experienced these last six weeks, great revelations of what God wants to do in my life. The question is, will you do the work? If God says, I'm going to give you the victory, if you choose to fight and overcome, will you do the work? Will you sign up for that community? Will you sign up for spiritual authority so you can walk in confidence? Will you sign up for river dwellers so you can experience what it is to live in the spirit? For soul care so that trauma that plagues you, those difficulties and cycles that you run through, that you can be done with. Oh, he is ready for victory in this wilderness moment because he knows what the future holds. What is God trying to transform in you? What is he trying to teach you? Why do you keep resisting if his promise is for victory? God has promised victory. So you will overcome. And my confidence is that, and that is not in our great community structure. And that's awesome. My confidence in that is not in your abilities and your talent to actually tackle all the problems you have. My confidence in that is based in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his, his work alone. Because Jesus took the wilderness path before you. And instead of being like Israel who turned back before the promised land, he defeated all the temptations, all of the challenges. And since he defeated it, now in faith, he pours into you his spirit and power so that you can do it. Jesus in the wilderness faced the same temptations as Israel and every other one. The questions of is God going to be good? The devil came and said, Aren't you hungry? Why don't you just make some bread for yourself, the Son of God? And he says, No, I rely and I depend on God because God is always present with me. I will live in His presence through His Word and that will guide my steps. The devil comes and says, Yeah, I see all those victories that you're going to have to have. Why don't you do it my way? Why don't you cut corners? Why don't you compromise? Why don't you use your ambition and your energy to overcome it? I'm going to worship God instead. And I'm going to follow His ways of wisdom because that's going to lead to the greater victory than anything the enemy can offer. And then the devil goes, well, why don't you put God to the test? Why don't you just do a temporary test of God to see if He actually cares? Jesus says, I don't have to do a temporary test. I have the testimony of the Scriptures that God's victory was promised then and I'll overcome in the future. So I don't need to do temporary tests. I can walk in his path forward. And I want you and I to look at Jesus. And I want us to be so enamored with him. We just say, build my life. That we build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Because if he can do the resurrection, what can he resurrect? 
in you? What can he transform in you if his whole body can be transformed from death in a tomb to life on a throne? If he can do that, oh, what is he ready to do in you? Because here's the deal. God has promised land lives for us in the future. He has promised land church in the future, not church in the past, religious ideas in the past. He has a promised land future for us. And all throughout this pandemic, all throughout this kind of scattered moment, I've just heard God say, get prepared, get prepared, get prepared. And because I'm a natural procrastinator, what I tend to think that means is, ooh, get prepared, because tomorrow it's going to be awesome. And I think, I think the timeline is so short, because get prepared for me is a procrastinating mindset. I'm like, oh, I'm right at the end. It's going to be over in a second. And God says, the preparation work that I'm doing is deep. Is long and it is for a long term promised land, not for short term gain. And so the preparation work is deep, it is hard, it, is, it takes effort and energy, it takes you opening up and being vulnerable, it takes you pressing in in community, it takes you dealing with the trauma, dealing with the evils that you see within you for repentance and transformation and freedom. That preparation work ain't easy. Man, is it good. Because it's preparing you to be a people of the promised land. Let's see victory after victory after victory. What I'm excited about with these community groups is that there's going to be a wave of testimonies that come out of that. A wave of testimonies like you just heard from Moses before, where people say, I struggled with this my whole life, and it is no more a part of who I am. I have been longing for my family life to be the place of joy and life over and over and over again every time I come home, and now I see it. I am now the spiritual leader of my home, and my children are flourishing. I'm longing for that provision that he has called me to and blessed me with for my career and my finances, and I can see the path forward in the presence of God. That's the future. It is definitely not where we were. It is where we want to be. And we're in the middle. We're in this wilderness. And God is saying, stop wandering. And stop wondering if it's true. Instead, when in the wilderness, proclaim these truths for victory, live these truths for victory, and find the promises that you've longed for. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. God, there is no one like you. No one is holy, no one is powerful, no one is good. God, lead us to repentance and forgive us when we doubt your goodness, when we stray from your presence to trust in our pride, when we do not live for you, when we just trust what we see over what you say, when the challenges seem too big for us, even though your victory will be let us be a people of the promised land. We surrender as your church to be prepared for that great future. I can't wait to see it. I will do the work so that I'm ready when it comes. So will God. That will be the truth. That will be the testimony of the trust. We pray this in Christ's name.